0: Welcome again. What an exciting morning we've, we've had already. Um, it's, uh, it's great to be in upper st- upstate New York in the fall. Uh, this is my first fall here, and for the last couple of weeks, I'll be honest, I kind of went, where I, everybody said the leaves change. And the leaves aren't changing. What's going on? And then I remembered something. In Colorado, there is no fall. It's, it's summer, and then it's winter. There's no fall, and so slowly we've progressed into fall which has been great. So uh, thanks for being here. You know, we've been going through this series uh, called Extraordinary, and Extraordinary has been a, a fun series for me. We're, we're taking ordinary people in scripture and we're looking at their extraordinary faith journeys. And so what we've asked ourselves over and over and over every week is how do we grow faith? Um, we have this thing and we talk a lot about faith. How do we grow it? Um, how does it, um, what, what kind of disciplines do we need to use? What choices do we make? What habits do we cultivate in order for our faith to grow? And I think as Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for many years, you kind of get used to where you are and you're fine with it. And, and you have your relationship with God, just like you have your relationship with your family or your spouse, and it seems to maintain. But the idea behind this series is I want each one of us to ask, how do we grow it? How do we increase our faith. So that's, that's what um, we're asking in this series. So um, let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever sent a text message via Siri and then you read the text message later and it's really wrong? You ever done this? Well, I, I confess. I'm sorry. I use Siri a lot. And um, I changed Siri's um, accent to be a British man. And so we have, like, we have like uh, arguments back and forth when he doesn't understand me well and when I don't understand him. But still, I ask him to send text messages. And sometimes my wife will respond back and go, okay, I don't think you meant to say that. And it's just obviously error. Well, um, you know... Mistranslation uh, can have funny consequences, too. You know, uh, if you've ever looked into Valentine's Day and how Valentine's Day got started, in the, in the early 1950s, you know, a, a lot of businesses around the world started this idea of chocolate, cards, you know, professing love to one another on a certain day for big bucks, right? So, you know, they could, they could make a lot of money. Well, they advertised this in Japan. The problem is, is they got the translation just a little bit wrong, and to this day, Japanese women give men chocolate on Valentine's Day. So they made a little bit of an error, but you know that nobody really cares because still people are buying chocolate, so everybody's fine. Um, yeah, another funny, funny mistranslation is the International Bank HSCB. If you've ever seen that, they launched a campaign. Um, with the catchphrase, assume nothing, and they're trying to, you know, get people to get curious and, cre- you know, creativity and how they invest and all this stuff. But the problem is, is when they translated it in several countries, it read, do nothing. So <laughs> this international bank launches this catchphrase, do nothing, to these countries, and people are like, do nothing? What is that all about? didn't do so well in those countries. But mistranslation can be funny um, and and can have funny consequences. But you know, it's interesting when we talk about messaging and and the words we use to describe what we're trying to accomplish. it's interesting when we, you relate that to God. See, God has been communicating with humanity and with the world um, for, since, since the beginning of time. And he's, he's been sending messages, and he's had messengers, and he, and he has very specific things he communicates. And that might seem funny to you because you haven't got a text message from him lately, although I'm, I'm, I keep sending text messages to him, but he hasn't responded yet. But um, so he sends these specific messages and you might say, well, how? How does he communicate with humanity? What does he do? Well, um, the psalmist uh, David wrote uh, Psalm 19 and it starts off, the heavens declare, declare the glory of God and the sky proclaimed the work of his hands. So he even has nature communicating messages to us, um, describing who he is and his character. You know, he speaks clearly in different ways. Um, he's giving clear messages to people throughout the ages. And, and those people have, have put together this. And, and we can read their messages and the things that they've received from God. And we can understand God a little better through scripture. Uh, you know, Isaiah um, is one of those prophets who received messages from God. And he wrote down those messages. In Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah starts off, in the year of King Uzziah... The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it's just one of those, one of those verses you read and you go, Whoa, Isaiah actually saw that. He saw that and he wrote it down. And, and, and God gave him a message that he was to deliver over and over and over and over again to, to Israel. Um, and Revelation 1 1 starts off, and this is John writing this, and he says, The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So John's writing this, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we have this amazing book, and this is what just fires me up is we have these incredible accounts recorded of people sitting and hearing and understanding God either through a vision or from an can you imagine John sitting there on the isle of patmos and an angel is sitting with him giving testimony to what John is seeing and John is recording it down it's amazing so God has been communicating uh, throughout the ages and you know we sit here in the 21st century with all the digital devices we have in the media and social media and email and text messages and every other kind of message you can imagine and it seems like it's easy to get God's messages a little lost in translation. And so the, the person we're going to talk about today has a message, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a cute one, but it's, it's pretty amazing. God, communication from God, of God's truth, is a big deal. Um, and we've seen people claim to be prophets in the Old Testament like Isaiah, and he writes down what he, what he saw, and, and it's kind of a risky business. A lot of times the truth as you know, isn't popular. And so it takes a lot to to say it. Um, it, So you have these prophets, and these people are like rock hard, solid, um, communicating even to their death what they have seen God uh, deliver to them. And then you have other people in in the scriptures that just communicate the word that they know. Um, Luke starts his gospel out, Luke 1 and 2. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed out to us from those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke he's writing his gospel in an attempt to communicate the truth that he has been that he has seen, that he has talked to people that have seen and he's recording it for us. So I know this thing can seem boring I know it can be like, oh man, a book, do we even read these? I I use a Kindle now, but my Audible like reads books to me, but there is some amazing stuff in here, and we know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Many times I've asked God, um, you know, I'm I'm sitting in my office, uh, here at the church, or I'm at home, and I'm praying, and I say, God, I need this, I need a message, like really specific, can you tell me this thing that I'm wondering? And I wait and I wait, and it's kind of like I don't know what I'm waiting for. Like, am I waiting for the phone to ring or like an email to, to come from an unknown email account? And I wait and I wait. Um, but God speaks, and God speaks through His Word, and He speaks to us uh, through His Word, which is just so profound. Um, and He's been doing this since the beginning of time. One of the things that I always struggle with is when I read a lot of these passages, I get confused. And I say, man, why is this so hard for me to understand? And I search, and I search, and I search, and so it can be confusing, but we're gonna look at at a person this morning who has a message from God, and and she takes that message pretty seriously. This passage is Luke chapter two, starting in verse 36. Let's take a minute and read it together. It's a short passage, just to 38, Um, but this is what Luke records. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenel, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. You know, scripture can be really blunt. And I'm not going to say that to any of you. She was really old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, this is Jesus and and Joseph and Mary, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is an amazing, just little snippet of this this birth narrative that we have in Luke. Um, And there's a couple of observations that I just want to make as we look at it. But Anna, what a what a beautiful picture of someone who is obedient, who has a message, and who delivers that message. So the interesting thing about what's going on in Luke's gospel at this point is there's kind of this, this buzz, there's like this rumor, people are whispering, and the word on the street, you know, everybody's like, well, did you hear so-and-so said, and, and there's, there's these murmurings going on, and the topic is the Messiah, and, and, and see, the interesting thing about the Messiah is Israel had been hoping and longing and praying for the prophesied Messiah so that they could be, re, re, you know, liberated from Rome, and so... You can imagine how popular this rumor started to get that a messiah was born. And so all these accounts of messiahship starts surfacing. And so Luke, as he records his gospel, he's saying, I got to prove to everybody that this is the real messiah. Because a lot of people had already come that said, hey, I'm the messiah. And then Rome kills them and they're obviously not the messiah and nothing happens. And so people are almost getting tired of getting their hopes up. but. As, as the persecution grows and as Rome's rule over Israel doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon, the yearning of in, is, Israel starts to grow. And the Messiah, the, the rumor of the Messiah coming becomes very popular. So if you, if you wanted to be taken seriously, you seriously believed the Messiah had come, then you better back it up. And that's what Luke is doing. In the birth narrative, many people are giving testimony to Christ's birth. Um, And and, and they're proving that the identity of this child is not a Messiah, but the Messiah sent from God. First, in, in in the birth narrative, you have Zachariah, who was visited by an angel. You have Mary, who was visited by an angel. You have Joseph, who was visited by an angel. You have the herdsmen or the shepherds that were visited by angels. And then you have the wise men. They come into play. They have seen signs and wonders of this, and they believe that he was the Messiah. And then you have Simeon in the passage right before who was moved by the Spirit to indicate that this was the child. And then you have Anna. And Anna is this old woman who's been worshiping and praying and fasting, and she's been living in the temple, and she has been given the title prophetess. And so if you just take a second right there and go, okay, well, what's a prophetess? I know what a prophet is. I think I know what a prophet is. We read about the prophets of the Old Testament, but what's a prophetess? Not a prophetess, you probably guessed it, it's just a, a woman that's a prophet. And, and I don't know, because we don't use this word very often, I kind of am drawn to it, a prophetess. Ooh, what's a prophetess? What do they do? Is that anything different than what a prophet does? Well, not really, except they use what they have. I think, just for the record, we have, we have some female deacons at this church. From now on, you're no longer deacon, you're now deaconess. And it has a ring to it, doesn't it? Your deaconesses is is maybe not plural, but anyway, you get the idea. So how common are prophetesses in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? And it turns out that there's 10 prophetesses, and there's one false prophet. We're not going to talk about her today. Five prophetesses in the Old Testament. Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, Nodia, and Isaiah's wife. And we don't even know what her name is, but she's a prophetess. Okay, so all we have, these five in the Old Testament, and then we have, we have five more in the New Testament, Anna, and then you have four of Philip's daughters who are prophetesses. So you have this title and this position of prophetess, and, and you had to be pretty serious about being a prophet or a prophetess. You can't be known as a prophetess and constantly be telling things that you think God told you and then be wrong, right? You, you have to back up what you're preaching. So a prophet or a prophetess is God's ambassador. Um, they represent God. And they have a truth God has given them, and they tell it. And a lot of times these prophets and prophetesses tell it until they die, until someone kills them because they're sick of hearing the truth or because they just die because they of old age or something. So it's, it's a serious thing to be a prophet or a prophetess. It wasn't popular at times. And and it's rumored that Isaiah was was killed for being a, a prophet. Many prophets were put to death when they brought forward the truth. And so to be a prophet or a prophetess, you have to kind of almost be crazy. You have to be like a little out there. Like, man, you would say this thing that you're sure you saw, even to the point of someone killing you, and that's what a prophet was. So Anna was one of many people during the time of Jesus' birth that had heard from God and what kind of person was it, Anna, to be, to be one of ten people? So you're in a group of ten people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament time periods. You're one of ten. That's a pretty, good, a pretty good percentage. What kind of person was she? Well, it's obvious that she knew who she was. She had a firm grasp on her title, on her position, on her calling. And she wasn't a, stra- a, sh- a stranger to suffering. She had lost her husband only seven years into their marriage. But she went on until she was 87. So she knew suffering. She knew what she was supposed to do, even though she had suffered. And can you imagine this 87 year old woman telling everybody that would listen her message? I've met women like this. (laughs) My grandmother is a woman like this, and and she has a message, and you walk through the little cabin door out in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, and she will tell you that message. And every year she grows, she's 96. Every year, another year she gets older, she gets more confident in her message. So you can imagine if Anna is like that, by the time she's 87, she's she's pretty confident. I love that. I love that picture. She knew what she was supposed to do, and she told anyone that would listen. She knew her calling. She had committed to her calling. She she fasted, and she prayed, and she lived in the temple, which actually wasn't that uncommon, but she was dedicated to this, and then she'd tell everyone that would listen. I can't wait to meet her in heaven. She's going to be a fun one. Anna was, was, like I said, one of many people that were prophesying about Jesus' birth. She gave the message to those around her that needed it. And her message was was pretty simple, really. It was, have hope. God is coming. He has sent his Messiah now. So it wasn't that, hey, someday God's going to take care of us. He's going to send a Messiah. That was a message that many prophets told. But Anna's prophecy was, he's coming now. And when I see him, I'll let you guys know. I would imagine that any child that came to get dedicated in the temple Anna was all over. Can you see this? Can you picture this this woman, this older woman who's dedicated her life to to finding the child, the Messiah? Every child that comes to oh, my gosh, here comes Anna. Here she comes again. I got to see this kid, and she's looking at him and holding him and looking at him. Oh, Okay, not the one, and she moves on over and over and over. I'll bet she was known in the temple for this. (laughs) It's kind of a fun picture. When she saw God actually coming to redeem the world in Jesus, her message was complete. Now just think about that for a minute. You've got one message that God has told you to give, and you've been telling people this message, and you're 87 years old, and it comes true. And here her prophecy is revealed as truth. I'll bet you this encounter between Joseph and Mary and Jesus and this woman Anna was pretty special. I don't think she wanted to let go of him. I think it was one of those moments that this crazy woman asked to hold your baby, and you're like, ah, I mean, I guess you can hold the baby, and she's like, okay, great, I'll, I'm gonna go tell people about him, and oh no, no, I, I need him, you gotta bring him back. She's confident. She knew what she wanted. How satisfying would it have been to have a message year after year after year? And you dedicated your life to it, and then it comes true. Powerful. That was Anna. Anna had a message of redemption. You know who else has a message of redemption? We have a message of redemption. We have a simple message. We try to overcomplicate it at times, but it's a simple message. The message is that God loves the world. He died for the world. And he's coming back to redeem the world. He loves his creation so much that he promises to make every wrong right. This is our message. He has a plan for you because he loves you. That is a special message. Think about someone who has been beat up their whole life, doesn't think they're any good, doesn't have any value, and they hear this message. No, God values you. God knows you and has a plan for you. It's not just that he loves you because, you know, you're a unique snowflake or whatever. No, no, no. He has a job for you. He actually has so much value placed in you. He's given you something. He's given you a job to do. And that's, that's, that builds a lot of confidence in someone. Here's a crazy thing. This, this whole thing about redemption. So this message that we have and that Anna had and that many prophets in the Old and New Testament had is a message of redemption. Considering what's been going on in our world, redemption is a pretty interesting idea. It's pretty powerful. The interesting thing about redemption is when you focus on redemption, it tends to grow your faith. It's amazing. When you focus on others and, and them receiving and understanding this message of redemption, something happens to you. See, our world tells you, when you focus on you, your faith grows. When you focus on you, you become more comfortable. When you focus on you, you become more happy. So, secret of happiness, according to the world, is focus on yourself and you become more happy. Pretty simple. It's not quite that easy, especially when there's faith involved, especially when God has said, I've chosen you to give a message. When you you focus on redemption, on the redemptive quality of this message that we have, you tend to take the focus off of yourself. And lo and behold, your faith grows. It's almost like you don't have to worry about it. It's almost like if you're so concerned about your message getting out there and people understanding it, you don't have to worry about it. God just takes care of that part. This is true with Anna. She had a message. She's given a message. And the whole time, her faith is growing and growing. Can you imagine the growth in her faith when she saw the Messiah in the flesh? She's been waiting her whole life, probably at the risk of being called crazy and annoying. And why in the world do you have to look at every child that comes to be dedicated to the temple? Why is it such a big deal? Anna. Anna. So to see her message come through, her faith would have exploded. The validation of all those years of being called the crazy one, I'm assuming. So here's what we need to know this morning. Speaking God's words builds our faith. If you want your faith to grow, you need to speak his truth. You need to speak his message. If you hide this message that you have, that you've been given, and you keep it deep in your heart, maybe you believe it with all your heart and you love it and you, and you worship God, but you keep that hidden, your faith at some point is going to tabletop. It's going it's to stop because part of this growth journey we're on is expressing it to the people around us. It's challenging. So listen to this. Speaking God's words to others like we said, focusing on others builds your faith. It builds your faith. We get to see God's word sink deep into people. Seeing our message of redemption hit people's hearts and sink deep—it affects you. When you see that happen, you go, "Wow, God! I, I told that guy about God's love, and now he's believing it, and it's changing. And I'm watching it happen. That's amazing. That encourages your faith." You get to see God's work sometimes bounce off of people. And that's sad. That's heartbreaking. You bend over backwards, you communicate God's love, you show God's love, and you pray for this person, you pray for this person, and it just seems to be glancing off their heart. It doesn't sink in. It's heartbreaking. But it actually still builds your faith. Just seeing that makes you turn to God and go, oh, that hurts. And you cleave to Him, you cling to Him. What breaks God's heart, as our faith grows, breaks our heart. And We talked about last week, God hates hopelessness. So when you send out this message and it seems like it's not working, it breaks your heart a little bit. And that builds your faith because that also breaks God's heart. That's, that's what happens when we speak God's word to others. And if you're like me, you can get so caught up in speaking these words or or trying to show people this truth that you forget about you. Now, speaking God's words to ourselves builds our faith as well. And I'm not talking about the way the world suggests. I'm not talking about, like, trying to make yourself uh, more important than everyone else around you or prioritizing yourself over others. I'm talking about the message that you're sending out to people also needs to come into you. It needs to hit you. Sometimes you have to say this, In the mirror, you have to remind yourself that God loves you as much as He loves the people that you're praying for or that you're thinking about. We have to remind ourselves what our priorities are. I think Anna, throughout the years, had to have like pep talks with herself, like keep the keep the faith. This is what God. Don't mistranslate it. This is what God said. Don't be distracted. Don't worry about what everyone is saying. I know they think you're a crazy old lady. Don't worry about it. Keep it up. She had, to re- she had to give herself pep talks. We have to remind ourselves that God's love, that God loves us. And, and, and he doesn't just love us as believers and as people, as humans. He loves you. He loves your personality and he built you a certain way. We have to remind ourselves that God chose us to be his vessel of love. And, and, and maybe you haven't thought much about this lately, but that's kind of an important thing He chose you uniquely to send a unique message of love. We have to remind ourselves that God's love for us is not based on our weaknesses, and it's not even based on our own strengths. God chose us to be his vessel because he customized us for it. See, Anna understood herself, and she understood the message that she was delivering And that allowed her to deliver it with tenacity. She was confident in it. Probably wasn't confident in much else. Hard to be a prophetess in that time. You think women, you know, in in, in our society sometimes aren't taken very seriously uh, because of misogynistic tendencies in our culture. Think about back then. That would have been hard. Not only are you saying something that you have to convince people is true, that they they may not want to be convinced of, But you're also a woman. That's a challenge. So Anna had to know who she was. She had to be really good at telling herself why God chose her. And she also had to be really sure of her message. And that's what she did. The the phrase in the last part of the last verse, to all who were interested in the redemption of Jerusalem... So it wasn't like she had like this narrow group, like my I I I'm gonna talk to the king. That's all I talk to. I'm gonna talk to the king in the in the in the king's court. No, no, no. Anna's job was to talk to anyone who was interested in the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, who would that have been? Well, that would have been anyone who was under the thumb of Rome. <laughs> anyone who was interested in this thing. Hey, do you like hope? Oh, you like hope? Okay, I have a message for you. Oh, you don't like hope? Okay, don't worry about it. I have a message for you. No, not many people would have said that. Speaking God's words builds our faith. And you might think, I want to speak God's words, but but I don't know what they are. And that's okay. That's a common struggle. I struggle with that. God has a truth for all humanity, and he called each of us to express it uniquely. This is so unique. This message for you is so unique, it's as unique as you are. And so what this does, so God says, okay, communicate to the world, I love them, and I'm going to do it uniquely through you. Believe it or not, that takes the pressure off. And you might be sitting here your seat going, oh, I'm not an evangelist, I can't get up there and preach the gospel, I don't know, I just, I just do my thing, and I'm, I, I don't really have that gift, I don't like public speaking, you know? It might be you. But the interesting thing is, is God built you uniquely to communicate this message, So you don't have to look at somebody else and go, I can't do it the way they're doing it. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to do it your own way. You're supposed to do it uniquely your way. That takes the pressure off. You have a capacity and ability to communicate God's will and God's love like no one else because that's what he's designed you to do. That's why he put you together. He's loved you and he's valued and he's invested in you and so that you can now reflect this love outside So let's talk a minute about who you are, what to speak, and how to speak it, okay? This is how we do this, okay? So I could just stand up here and say, okay, go tell people God loves, God loves them, and, and you kind of go out there, okay, maybe at the bus stop, oh, God loves you. How does this work? It has to sink in deep. It has to be a priority. It has to be a big part if you want to invest in it, especially in a world that's not interested very much in hearing about Jesus, the first thing is, you're not going to make it very far unless you're sure. Unless you're sure of yourself. So the first step in our application is confirming your calling. You have to confirm it if you're going to stand the test of time. If Anna wasn't sure about who she was, well, I think I'm a prophetess. I'm not really sure. I mean, I had this dream once, but I'm not. I was kind of hazy. It's not going to work. <laughs> People are going to blow holes in her theories and her idea. So you have to be sure of your calling. How? How are you to be sure of your calling? That sounds great. How do you do it? Don't forget that this is a relationship. So my first suggestion is ask him. Ask him about your calling. Ask him what you're supposed to be doing. Ask him why he put you where you are. There's a reason. There's a unique reason. So ask him. And then when you think you have an idea of what God has said to you is your thing, confirm it. And I don't mean like putting the Bible on your bed and turning on the overhead fan and like seeing where the pages flip and okay, this pastor's got to have something to do with this. I'm not talking about that kind of confirming. I'm talking about your, your friends, your the believers around you. Sit down with them and say, hey, I feel like God is calling me to do this. Is that crazy? And if they're good friends, and it is crazy, they'll tell you. (laughs) And they'll confirm with you and say, no, I really think that that's a good idea. Like, I think that you could be good at that. I don't care if you're 87 years old or if you're 7 years old. This is a good idea. Ask him what your calling is. Confirm it with your community, and then experiment with it. See what happens. Try something. This is why one of the many, many reasons why I push you guys to sign up for life groups because a life group could be that group of friends that you come to and say, hey, I think God wants me to do this. And they could say, no, no, don't do that. Or yeah, let's, we're going to help you. We're going to help you discover your calling. Let's experiment with, with together with this and see what happens. Life group would be a great place to do that. Okay. Confirm your calling. First step. Once you know, once you're sure and, and God's patient with us. If you're not sure and you keep asking him, it's okay. He'll, he'll, he'll give you patience. Second thing is you've got to commit to it. Can you imagine Anna going, yeah, 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 I know exactly what God wants me to do, but you know, I'm 87 years old. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm getting old. This is harder and harder for me to do. She's committed. She's committed. Can you imagine if Anna had this message for year after year after year and Jesus came through the temple and she didn't get a chance to see him? Oh my gosh, she probably would never forgive herself. She was sure. So she committed to her calling. Commit to your calling. And and, and the way we commit to our calling is we tell him, okay, Lord, this is what I think you want me to do. I'm committing to this and you take a step. So tell him, take a step and take a friend. Don't do it alone. Bring a buddy. This is the buddy system we're working on. Have them confirm in you. Or go, man, I, I really feel like we're, we're walking off a cliff here. Let's, let's rethink this. Or maybe they got your back. Or maybe they're there just to tell other people what's happening. So it doesn't just come from your mouth. Confirm your calling. Commit to your calling. And the third one is communicate your calling. This is all just what Anna did. Communicate your calling. And this is easy. Once you get to this point, passion is just going to come out of you. You're going to have a hard time not communicating your calling. Speak it. Shriek it if you have to. Be the Anna who's the, the grandmother figure desperate to find Jesus the baby. And she does. Passion will just come out of you. So confirm your calling. Commit to your calling. And communicate your calling. And if you wonder when you leave, okay, I got it, Josh, confirm, commit, communicate. But but why? Why do what's the motivation? Everyone else is doing this, why should I? Why should I be doing this? If you do this, you're going to start to see the through you're going to see the world through a lens of opportunity. You're going to start to see people with eyes that God sees them with. You see people with love and hope instead of disappointment and despair. Everything turns into an opportunity and I know people that have done this and they are so refreshing. They just have this like desire to to continue with their calling and their mission and they see the whole world, it's like the world's their oyster, you know that phrase? Everything is an opportunity. We start to understand who's in control of your success. It's not you out there trying to conquer the world by yourself. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that's moving you, that's confirming in you, that's giving you the power and the wisdom and and the, the desire to continue. And if we do this together, I'm talking about you individually, but if we all did this, we'd blow the lid off this place. If we did it together, we could confirm with each other our individual callings, and how we live this ministry out. Can you imagine the excitement if you saw every person in this church living out their calling with enthusiasm like Anna had? Oh, it would be so encouraging. It would give us all energy and strength to continue on. I think Anna probably needed friends at some point to sit down with her and go, hey, you're doing great. Messiah's gonna come, you're gonna see him. She could confirm that. I need you. To confirm in me that I'm doing the calling that God has put in me. And you need me to do the same to you. Hey, Josh, I'm trying this new thing. Or or I thought about this part of my life and I feel like God wants me to to communicate this calling. And I can sit with you and pray with you and encourage you. Confirm your calling. Commit to your calling. Communicate your calling. And remember, Anna, she's going to be fun to meet. Let's pray together. Jesus, I can't wait to meet this woman that got to hold you as a baby in the temple in Jerusalem. Thank you for people like her. Thank you for people that we all know that have this passion and this calling, even though sometimes they seem crazy and everybody kind of rolls their eyes when they walk away. Lord, I don't want to be crazy for you. Even if, even if it doesn't make sense in the culture or people are... bothered by my message. God, you've given us the message of truth, the message of your salvation, the message of your hope. So, Lord, I ask if there's any person sitting here in this church today that's tired, that has been shot down, or, or that's wondering if you really told them to say what they were saying, that you would encourage them, God that we as a church could come together in your name around your gospel and encourage each other to go out and to communicate it and celebrate it in the unique ways that you've put us together. Oh, Lord, it's amazing to think that you would want someone like me on your team. <laughs> that you would want us, Grace Chap of Clifton Park, to be on your mission. That's an amazing thought, Lord. Thank you for that. I ask that you would help us refine our callings and and commit, recommit. If we've committed already, we recommit to our callings. And then we we can communicate it to the world around us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for what you've done in us. In your name, amen.